0: Okay, turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're ending our study in Colossians today. Please, no applause. We've been in a passage that is normally ignored because it has these greetings and, you know, Paul's telling people to say hello to. Normally, you know, when Paul mentions these people because he's having a connection with them either through the letter or through the the, the church there at Colossae, we just think, eh, you know, it has nothing to do with me. Well, you would be sorely mistaken. Who he mentions... And what he mentions gives us a clue as to what a ministry A-team looks like. And that's what we're going to try to call out from this passage. Let's all stand as we look at this. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that He may encourage your hearts, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Grace be with you. God, I pray that you might speak to our hearts in a way that is supernatural, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Mark was a comrade of Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Mark left the ministry team And Paul and Barnabas had a fallout because Barnabas wanted to take Mark back at a future point. Paul didn't. We read about this in Acts 15. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul Thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. That word for sharp disagreement actually means an intense argument, emotional turmoil. In other words, this was a heated disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, and it caused them to separate. How many of you have ever had a heated disagreement? None of you. oh, you are all so godly. Oh, <laughs> Never argue. Thank you. One of the beautiful things about being a Christian is enjoying the deep fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. We get that through our life group. I love our life group. I love the new friends we've got in there. One of the hardest things about being a Christian is the relationships with the brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's expectations that we assume that because one is a Christian, they're going to be honest. They're going to lay their cards on the table. They're going to be kind. Oh, such disappointments. And such reality is that's not always the case. It seems, maybe it's just me, but I, I think you could probably tabulate this somehow scientifically, mark this, that the ability of people to weather storms today, to wade through conflict with kindness and civility is less now than it's ever been in our history. The civility in our culture has lessened. Do I need to say more other than presidential election? Okay? We could sit here for hours and discuss the reasons as to why this is the case. You know, maybe it's a a home life, a bad self-image, or, you know, the importance of healthy communication, blah, blah, blah. However, we have to recognize that since the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve first entered, there have been human conflict as a, as a regular visitor to our experience, right? It's always been the case. Now, we have a tendency to maybe blame the other person, blame my background, blame all these other people. But listen, the real culprit for human conflict is sitting in your seat. Say, huh? Listen to what James has to say. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? We can blame whomever, whatever we want, but the Bible says our desires, our thoughts go unchecked. And what should be a difference worked out becomes a conflict that is extended, that is exacerbated, and there's bitterness, unresolved conflict, Because of stuff going on in our hearts. You know, Janet and I, I know it's hard to believe that we have sometimes arguments, but I think our last one was in 83, if I remember right. When we have one that seems, you can't seem to uh, resolve in the immediate moment, I'll often go to my journal, and I'll start writing Some of my thoughts. And in the midst of the argument, I'm thinking, man, if she would only change. I mean, if she'd only get my point. If she'd only do this or that. And then in the midst of while I'm seeking the Lord, I'm asking the Lord to give me light. Invariably, okay, I mean, every time I come up thinking, I am such a schmuck. All right? And I see the crap in my own heart, in my own life. In my thoughts. And the Lord just shines a light of what I was responsible for, how I contributed to the conflict, and what I need to own instead of blaming. Wisdom is found in Romans 12, 18 that says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This tells us that I have to be responsible for my own heart, my own actions, but sometimes the other person has no interest. Sometimes problems don't get resolved even though you want them resolved. You know, in my 45 years that I've been a Christian, at least to the best that I can recall, I only know of three Christians that I've been at odds with where there continues to be an impasse with no immediate indication of that going to change. Now, I've had my differences with a lot of people. I know that's hard for you to believe because I'm such a sweet soul and kind. Usually, those things, I'd say most all the time, it, it, it can be peaceable. And there's a cordial relationship, even though you may disagree. But in these three cases where I've, I've made attempts to try to reconcile, but the conflicts go unresolved and the relationship is essentially dead or cold at best. And so here are some questions I have to ask myself in the midst of that. And maybe you have some of those relationships too that it's just difficult to traffic through. You don't know what else you can do. Here are some things that I have to ask myself. Are there any heart issues I need to address to change this relationship? What's God saying to my own heart? Any heart issues? I just need to be open to what's going on in my own heart. Uh, secondly, am I holding out by insisting on change with the other person and not addressing my own responsibilities? All right? That's easy to do. Hey, I'll, I'll forgive if that person... <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, that's, that's your problem when we say those kinds of things. Uh, here's another one. If I don't trust these people, and I got to be honest, I don't, but if I, if I don't trust them, is the problem rooted in my own unforgiveness or is it wisdom for me not to engage? Because sometimes, you know, you, you need to have some boundaries, right? And there are some people that are just toxic and for you to have a relationship with them, it's just going to go nowhere, and it's always going to end up in some kind of conflict. But you've got to know wisdom there. Is it me being the problem that I'm not willing to put in the hard work, or I've not made any attempts? Certainly, if you've been in these situations, you know they are not easy. They weigh upon you very much. They weigh upon you. Now, I have witnessed similar situations that seem like they they could never be worked out, and God has done a miraculous work. Amen? You've seen it in your own life, haven't you? Situations you thought could never be worked out, and yet God worked out reconciliation, and that's the beauty of the gospel being worked out in those things. So, with all that as a background, I am greatly encouraged that Paul reaches out and mentions Mark. Think of this, the guy that he once thought, I'm never going to take him on a trip. And now he is, he's being kind. There's a warm note from him about Mark. Now we don't know what took place exactly of, of how that got resolved. But I know this, it didn't get resolved without humility and kindness, Right? Paul didn't get in Mark's face and win the argument. No, there was humility and kindness. I guarantee that was a part of the process. So let us do all we can to reconcile. And a ministry A team will exhibit reconciliation in the toughest of conflicts. Next we read this. And Jesus, who's called justice... uh, how would you like to have the name Jesus? I mean, you talk about a burden to bear. Live up to that one. Uh, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Mark, Justice, and Aristarchus are the only three Jewish converts that have been traveling with Paul. Why does he mention them? Why does he point out that these are the only three Jews I got traveling with me? Maybe Paul was trying to encourage the Colossians because remember, it was basically a Jewish sect that was creating these problems that were the false teachers. And he's saying, hey, I've got three converted Jews working with me. I want you to be encouraged by that. Look what can happen. Maybe that was a part of it. It's possible. Or maybe Paul is just encouraged that there are three converts with him, period. I mean, Paul was facing considerable Persecution. He's writing this letter that we're reading from jail, right? And in fact, shortly after Paul came to Christ, we read in Acts 9.23 that the Jews were plotting to kill him. So he wants the Colossians to know that these three were a comfort to him, that they were to be received warmly. And Paul's encouraged that he's got these three converts with him. And he wants them to be encouraged by it as well. A ministry A team, you know what they do? They rejoice in any converts. Next, Epaphras, who's one of you, servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now, Epaphras is called a servant and one who's worked hard. We dealt with those um, particular characteristics last week with some others, so I'm not going to go through that again with Epaphras. But he names another trait. He takes special notice that he has struggled in prayer for the saints to be matured and assured in the will of God. The word for struggle is a word that means he's agonized. All right? In other words, his love for the saints is so deep. The need is so acute for them to know the will of God and to walk in it that, that Epaphras could not just pray casually, but he's struggling as if in battle. You know why? Because there is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. He was aware of the impact that these false teachers had in trying to steal from them their joy, steal from them their confidence in Christ, to add to their walk in Christ all these other rules and regulations so that they could feel like that they could be in their little group. And listen, we are not immune to that. The church today struggles with that depending on what denomination, what little subset you're a part of. Hey, in order to be a part of our group, you know, you got to believe this little thing or, or follow this. You know, you, you can't ever have a drink. You know, you got to homeschool. you got to put this, these kind of clothes on. you got to do all these little rules, all this little rigmarole to be a part of the community. I mean, you've got the grace of God in your life and the gospel. Is that not enough? Well, apparently not because you've got to do all this other stuff. And so it, it essentially was a slap in the face of the grace of God, and all these Colossians are kind of getting insecure about it, and they're thinking, man, you know, maybe I'm missing the boat. And so Epaphras is praying, man, I want them to, to stand in maturity, to not be affected by all this stuff that these other people are saying. Do not let them steal from you in that way. You're not to walk in doubt all the time, because someone comes along and makes you feel insecure and then they capitalize on it so he prays then that they'll be they'll be fully assured in the will of God they were to know that they were on the right path in looking to Christ not looking for some special spiritual experience you know you got to do this little deal you got to speak in this little language you know it was angel language for them and Paul said earlier hey don't get caught up in all that you got Christ, you got the grace of God. What else do you need to grow in your walk with Christ? So he's he's praying, agonizing, struggling in prayer that they would know these things. This week I received two messages from friends just to tell me they were praying for me. It's like they're saying, "I'm going to battle for you right now. I'm lifting you up." Struggling On your behalf in prayer. I mean, you talk about warming somebody's heart. I couldn't be more blessed. Now, there are days, don't you feel, there are days where you feel like, you know, I'm just not up to the fight. There are days where you feel like, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. You ever feel like that in your walk with Christ? Sure we do. Isn't it cool to know that there are others who are praying for you to walk in maturity? Have you ever thought, where you would be without those prayers of other people in your life? Boy, I do. I mean, there is a real spiritual battle going on, whether you recognize it or not. You could be completely oblivious, so that doesn't change the fact that's going on. What you think doesn't change reality, right? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic forces over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a battle going on for your souls, for your life. You remember the story of the man who got lifted down from the roof to come to Jesus? You know, he was physically infirmed and, you know, these guys got up on the roof of a house, dug out, you know, the straw that was on the roof, laid him down before Jesus and, and, and Jesus saw him and, and healed him. I think of prayer in this sense of that way. There are some, maybe even among us that are, that are so sick, and I'm not just calling uh, saying physically, but they need to be propped up by some other friends around them. They need to be prayed for. They need to be encouraged. They need to be dropped down at the feet of Jesus, and we're saying, God, please touch this person. And we agonize, and we work just to get them in that position. So I say thank you to all of you who have wrestled in prayer. You know what? Every ministry A-team needs prayer warriors. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. When's the last time you said of your doctor, my beloved doctor? Probably never. Would you be surprised to know that Luke wrote about a third of the New Testament? Did you know that? You take the book that bears his name and the book of Acts, and just as far as the number of verses, that's about a third of the New Testament. And he probably helped Paul write 2 Timothy as well. Now, without Luke's help as a physician, as a comrade, as a ministry partner, I don't think Paul could have done near what he did. Luke helped to carry the heavy load that Paul had. And Paul calls him a beloved physician. He was a close friend. He was loved by Paul. Every minister team needs people to carry a heavy load. Next he said, as does Demas. Now what is interesting about Demas is that Paul doesn't mention um, some qualifier, you know, beloved Demas, faithful Demas. He doesn't do that. Is it possible maybe he saw something in Demas at this time? All he says is, hey, Demas says hi. Uh, Here's something that we see about Demas later. Uh, This is something that Paul wrote in the uh, last letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas deserted Paul for the, the, the safety, the comfort, the freedom of Thessalonica. He viewed the potential cost of, uh, of following Christ as too much, at least in Paul's deal. And there are a lot of people like that. There's just too much I've got to give up. I don't want to follow Christ for that. I mean, you talk about short sighted, right? There's great sadness in these words. Because Paul, in verse 9, he says to, says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. I mean, Demas left me. Man, I, I could use you being here. And there's really hardly anything more hurtful in life you don't have to be in ministry for this, it can be anybody, who you work closely with, who you thought you had a good relationship, and they you know, they, 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 they say these words about how you know, they'll stand with you through thick and thin, and then they jump ship when a conflict arises. And they get on the attack, and you're like, where's this come from? Paul was hurt because Demas quit. You know what? Every ministry team every ministry eighteen team, is going to experience disappointment and hurt. And you're foolish to think it won't happen to you. And those who handle it best can endure. But those who hold it close to their chest are going to get bitter. And they're certainly not going to be able to have any kind of healthy ministry. There's no way you can have healthy relationships when you hold that bitterness in your heart. No way. See, ultimately, ministry is about relationships. It's how well we love, remain, and relate to one another even through difficult circumstances. Next, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. We could just summarize this and say what uh, Katie and Chandler are doing. That's ministry in the house. It's not ministry confined to a church building. In fact, church buildings weren't even a Uh, They weren't even in existence when this was written. All churches met in homes. One doesn't need a special place to worship and fellowship, right? There's nothing special about this place. This is not where God resides. This is not God's house. As if he's only here and not somewhere else. Now, it's God's house in the sense that he owns everything, just like it's, you know, my car is God's car, and my house is God's, you know... Uh, all that. God owns it all, right? In that sense, it's his. But there's no special thing about these bricks and mortar here in this place. The church is where you go. That's where you are. And the church met in homes. And it was and it was uh, the, the lady who opened up her home. Nympha is mentioned here as one who is, you know, obviously extremely hospitable. A ministry A team recognizes that the majority of ministry takes place in the hands and in the homes of the congregation. Not in the centralized location. And when this letter's been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So there was another letter floating around from Laodicea that he wanted to read and he wanted this letter from Colossae read to the church at Laodicea. It's cool to see that there was this interaction, there was this mutuality of resources. And it's cool to see that happen here in Springfield when we see the the Convoy of Hope thing where over 80 churches are involved together to help with the poor in the northwest quadrant of town. It's cool to see churches with the African-American church churches and, and some of the other churches gathering together. That is great to see. But sometimes people don't want to do that. Sometimes people think, you know, unless you're in our denomination, unless you do it our way, we're going to take our toys and play over here. Well, again, completely missing the point. And it used to be, you know, you could get discouraged about that. And now I'm like, I don't care. Go, go do your thing. Play with your toys over here. We're going to go over here where God is moving and just be a part of that. And it's just cool to see A ministry 18 will share resources, cultivate a collegiality among other churches, among other ministries. That's what was taking place. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, we don't know what ministry Archippus had. All we know is that Paul wanted him to endure and do well at it. And the Lord apparently made it clear to him what he wanted him to do. And he was to endure and not give up. And it reminds me of Paul's words In 1 Timothy, we read this, 1 Timothy 4, uh, verses 11 through 16, it says, command and teach these things. This was a charge that Paul was giving to a young pastor, Timothy. Uh, Command and teach these things, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the... Uh, Believers, an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, devote yourself to them, see that all may see your progress. Uh, uh, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself And your hearers. This was like marching orders that Paul was giving to Timothy, just like what Paul is giving to Archippus. Fulfill the ministry that God has given you. Stay at it. Here's what I want you to focus on. Notice what Paul does not focus on. Notice in this letter, in fact, I would say in just about every letter you see of Paul, right? He doesn't say, when he's talking about the ministry, giving a ministry report, man, we had a big meeting in this city, and we had X amount of people, man, was God really moving? You never see that. You never see him that, hey, you guys got to do this to keep the momentum going so more people will get involved, all right? You got to know how to prime the pump, baby. No. You don't hear any of that talk. Instead, what you hear are about relationships, are about people, Right? Paul is talking about a long-term commitment and influence where God has planted them to be faithful. And a Ministry A team values endurance and commitment to God and others. It's about relationships. Lastly, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The, the chains outwardly signified the value of the gospel for Paul. Were it not for his commitment to the gospel, Paul wouldn't be in prison. He wouldn't be in chains. Chains signified the level of the relationship, the seriousness of relationship that Paul had with Christ. I am taking it to the point of chains. Paul doesn't mention this so that we'll feel sorry for him. We'll start sending him sympathy cards. He writes this to say, I'm the example here. Go to the point of even being jailed. A ministry A team has to have leaders who will lead by example remember my chains and the extent of the gospel commitment boy if the american church needs to hear anything it's this cuz you know what we think you know i'm not going to i'm not going to give up my evenings i'm not going to give up this amount of money i'm not going to give up my time i'm not going to give this up i got i got to watch The Good Wife on Sunday night. I can't do that. And and the, the terms of our commitment are basically based all through, you know, comfortableness. And in essence, we become like Demas. And Paul's like wiping all that away and just saying, Hey, what are you willing to give up? Maybe the better question is, what are you not willing to give up? because it's all his anyway, right? And then he says, grace. Grace be with you. This book started with grace. It ends with grace. It's all about grace. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. The Christian life is about how good God is to us. And it's about experiencing his grace of Jesus in us, not about our performance, not about trying to to gain God's favor by doing this or that. It's experiencing and walking in the grace that has already been provided for us in Jesus Christ. And that's how the book ends. Couldn't be a better ending. Do me a favor this week. Read the book of Colossians. You can do that, four chapters. Now I know you may not have the 20 minutes to do it, Do it in parts. You could read a chapter at a time, right? Read the book of Colossians. See if grace just doesn't jump off the page and how God can encourage you. Let's pray.